0: Have you ever felt like you were always giving more in your friendships than your friends were giving, or that you're not valued as a friend, or that you're always the one reaching out to other people? I felt all of these things a lot, especially during my freshman year of college and even recently in the past two years. I always wondered if there was something that I lacked if a friend whom I deeply loved didn't love me back with the same level of intensity. It would sometimes feel like I could never quite get into their inner circle of people they trust no matter what I did for them. And then when I did have a good friend and they would move away, it felt as if a part of my heart was leaving and I would be devastated beyond what was healthy. And now that I look back, it was because I didn't have a real biblical understanding of what friendship should be like. Hey everyone, my name is Jamie and welcome to Dear Younger Me. This podcast is dedicated to giving advice to my younger self in hopes that it will also help other people who might be going through similar things. I will be talking about everything ranging from how to not be shy in elementary school, how to figure out my career path in high school, how to build genuine friendships with people after college, all the way to how to navigate my own Christian faith. I just hope that this podcast can be me being an older sister giving helpful advice to all the young people and maybe even older people out there. In this episode, I will be talking about what biblical friendships look like and how to make lasting friends. In order to see what biblical friendships look like, let's turn to, drumroll please, the Bible. There are actually so many stories about friendships in the Bible, so let's just dive into them. What do friendships in the Bible look like? Let's start with Ruth 1, 11-18. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters, why will you go with me? And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. In this story, we can see that biblical friendships are not just ones where we can get something from the other person. Naomi didn't have anything to offer to Ruth, yet Ruth loved her mother-in-law. Later in the book, she goes and gathers food for her mother-in-law and basically stays with her throughout the rest of her life. Can you think of an instance where your friend was in a dire situation and instead of having you suffer with them, they let you go? What was your reaction? Was it a sigh of relief that they didn't ask you to go with them the extra mile? Or were you so close to your friend that you refused to leave them alone? I think if I genuinely ask myself, I don't know if I would cling to any of my friends if I knew their future didn't look too great. And although the story is between family members, it still applies to us because in Christ, we are brothers and sisters with each other and we're part of the same spiritual family. So I don't think it's far off that we are to love our brothers and sisters with the same level of love Ruth had for Naomi. Now let's read 1 Samuel 18, 1-4. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. I don't know if I have a friendship where I felt like my soul was knit to their soul, but according to the Bible, that's the intensity of love that Jonathan had for David, a love where he would strip away his royal garments and give it to a shepherd's son, who was, you know, a commoner at that point. And here, we see that close friendships are intimate. The very essence of who you are, your soul, is tied together with that of someone else. And I don't think this can or should happen with everyone in your life, but it challenges us to have such close friendships where we share everything with each other. Our challenges, our highest moments, our pain and suffering. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to have that level of intimacy with another human being who's also imperfect and has their own baggage? I certainly struggle with this because it's scary to be vulnerable. People can abandon me after I share my heart with them. They can use things against me. But I think we're called to do it with a select few people in our lives. To know someone so deeply and to be known so deeply without being judged is part of how we were created and it feels so fulfilling to have those types of friendships. especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." From this story, I think we can learn that friendships are unplanned and unexpected. God puts different kinds of people in our lives for a purpose, and we can't expect to be friends with only a certain type of person. Paul in this passage was in prison when he met Onesimus, yet after sharing the gospel with him, Paul regarded him as his child, and Onesimus was Philemon's bondservant, yet after his conversion, Paul asked Philemon to think of Onesimus as a beloved brother. Can you imagine someone who stole from you returning and being regarded as a brother or sister and part of Christ's family? Would you have planned for that to happen? I probably wouldn't have. And I used to only want to hang out with people who click with me or are similar to me, but through and through, God has put so many different people in my life, and it's helped me grow my worldview of Christianity and love for God because I think there's different parts of us and different types of people that we all need to see in order to see how glorious and big God is. And it's important to recognize that we have to give God the autonomy that he rightly has over placing certain friendships in our lives. We can't control the people who enter and leave our lives and it's better that we don't because God knows us better than we do and he gives us friends that we need right when we need them. Alright, now I want to move on to, is biblical friendship necessary? And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 12-27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, as far as I can tell from this passage, biblical friendship is definitely necessary. As Paul writes here, you can't be a solo Christian because you're literally attached to the other members of the body of Christ, who are the other members of your church or community. And we need each other in order to take care of one another and share joy and life. And just because you think you're a solo Christian, that doesn't make you any less a part of the body and you're still a part of the body. And I encourage those of you who aren't part of a church group or a small group community to find a community so that you can grow up together in, in the Lord and in the Spirit. The path to life is already narrow and hard as it is. And if we rely only on ourselves, I don't think we can make it. Okay, now I'm going to give you guys three quick verses. Ecclesiastes 4.10 For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 27.17 Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So these three verses tell us explicitly that in order to love one another, we need people in our lives to love, and it's only for our benefit because if we fall or we're running low on faith or feeling dull, we have someone to pick us back up and keep us on the straight and narrow path. Okay, so now I'm hoping that you see that biblical friendship is necessary, and I want to talk about what it looks like in the Bible. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endears all things. Some of you might know this famous passage, but please don't overlook it. Biblical friendships require biblical love, and I believe this type of biblical love is a supernatural gift God has to give you at the point of regeneration, which is when he saves you and gives you a new heart to follow him. I don't think it's something I can just do and strive for myself. For example, I had a friend that I would try to quote-unquote love because I grew up thinking Christ called us to love everyone around us with all the love we can give and I have to sacrifice all the time. And even when I didn't feel like it or I was just super burnt out, I would still ask her how she was really doing every single time we talked. I would drive her places, pick her up, make breakfast, lunch and dinner for her, pray for her. And at one point, I just realized I was doing everything for her and she wouldn't do anything for me, at least for a majority of our friendship. And I became really resentful because I was doing things for her that I no longer wanted to do but I felt obligated to do. But in order to have love for others, it's not about trying harder to be patient or trying harder to repress my feelings or just forcing myself to do things just because I'm supposed to. I think it's asking God to give me the eyes to see other people the way he sees them and then allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me to change my heart to love them. For example, my mom and I have a really rocky relationship, and whenever she would call my name in the morning, I used to get so angry. Like, I could just feel the anger boil up inside of my chest. So I would try to suppress being angry, and I would just try to only say nice things to her, but I would always erupt and then end up yelling at her. And it wasn't until I started going to a Christian therapist and she helped me to ask the Holy Spirit to see my mom the way he saw her that I started changing. God revealed to me that my mom was hurting for not receiving the attention she needed as a wife or sister-in-law. And that's why she was jealous for my attention. And once I understood that, my compassion grew for her and it became easier for me not to get angry. God also revealed to me that I used to find my identity in being a good friend, and meeting someone else's need, and I would know if I met their needs if they reciprocated my love. So if they didn't reciprocate my love, that meant I wasn't a good enough friend to them. And then I would try harder to be a better friend, but then I would still be crushed when the other person couldn't reciprocate the same level of intimacy that I wanted with them. And it was hard to tell I struggled with this because this wrong identity was hidden under the guise of putting other people before me and dying to myself. So I thought I was being very loving and very Christian by always attending to other people's needs before my own. This is not genuine love because one, love does not insist on its own way and it is not resentful. When I expected my friends to give me the same kind of attention I gave them, that was insisting in its own way. And when they didn't make me feel loved, I felt used and resentful. So the way I loved my friends was not always biblically sound. Now I'm going to read some Bible verses of what should happen in friendships in the Bible. Hebrews 10, 24-25 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It looks like encouraging each other to run this race as the day grows near. And then living life together, hanging out with each other, inviting each other to your homes and breaking bread and having worship nights and prayer nights and all the stuff that you just enjoy doing with other people. James 5:16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It also looks like confessing sin, because there's power and freedom in doing that. And when you tell other people your sin, they're able to keep you accountable and pray for you, and you're able to resist and flee from the devil. John 15, 13 Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And John 19, 38-42 Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So when you love someone with this biblical kind of love, it looks like sacrificing your time and energy to help a friend in need. Imagine Joseph and Nicodemus having to go to town to prepare those spices, spending their money to purchase them, risking their lives to get the body of Jesus, carrying Jesus' body, which probably smelled putrid at that point, and spending their night laying down their lord and friend are you willing to do that for your friends? In the modern day, it could look like picking up your friend who got a flat tire in the middle of the freeway, even if it's your day off. It looks like helping them with a big test or a job interview. It looks like cooking for them because they just got out of surgery. And these are just some of the small things that we should and could be doing for our friends. Like, doing these things requires us to sacrifice our time and energy, but God calls us to do it and we have to ask ourselves, is our love that kind of love? Because that's how other people will also come to know Christ is when they can see the love that we have for one another in our body of Christ. Biblical friendship also requires us to speak truth to one another. Ephesians four fourteen to 15 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I think our culture is very easily offendable nowadays, and we get caught up with the mantra of you do you, but I think that's blind acceptance and love is not blind. The Bible calls us to speak the truth in love if we are in relationship with each other. Like, don't just speak truth to a random stranger because you're most likely going to hurt them because you don't know them, and they don't know you, and therefore they can't trust what you say. But if you're doing life with people who are close to you and around you, you have to be open to receive correction and also be willing to speak biblical truth to them, even if it's not what they want to hear. And as always, wait for the Holy Spirit to guide you. He will tell you to speak truth to specific people if he thinks it's necessary. Don't go around correcting people God hasn't told you to correct. And now that we have a framework for what biblical friendship looks like, let's move on to some practical steps you can take to help you in your friendships old and new. Number one, you can't be close friends with everyone. I struggle with this a lot. I thought that I had to be close friends with every single person that God put in my life because I thought that was the most caring and loving Christian thing to do. But now I understand that practically relationships take time and you only have so much time in your life. And because we're only human, I don't think it's possible to have deep and intimate friendships with every single person around us because you're just going to get burnt out and that's not fun. And it's also not unloving to not be close friends with everyone. Even Jesus had his top three friends in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he only took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee to be with him when he was praying to Father. The second point is that people will disappoint you. In Matthew 26, 40-46, it says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So in this story, you can tell that Peter and the two sons of Zebedee fell asleep when Jesus needed them the most. He was about to get crucified, and I can only imagine how much pain that he's going through, like how much pain and abandonment and just betrayal, but his top three friends couldn't even stay awake for him for an hour. And you also have to look at your life and understand that humans are humans and even if they have the best intentions or they've been friends with you for 15 plus years, they are at one point going to disappoint you or not reach your expectations when really we should be putting those expectations onto Jesus. The third thing is you can have boundaries and you can say no. In Mark twelve thirty one, it says this. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. God calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And if we can't do the latter the way God wants us to love ourselves, we certainly cannot do the former. Growing up, church always taught me to sacrifice and to die to myself. So I thought I always had to say yes when people asked me to do something for them. Or that I always had to do things even when I didn't want to. But I realized that when I always put other people above me and didn't care about my own needs, I wasn't valuing myself and my own boundaries. And it's not about devaluing ourselves in order to elevate others, it's about recognizing how much equal value we all have in God's eyes. Setting boundaries looks like you can only hang out with a certain person for a limited amount of time because there are other people that God wants you to focus on or because your friends might be doing things that are harming you mentally and spiritually and they don't even know it. It also looks like not disclosing information that's personal to you, even if the other person wants to know. I don't think it's unloving to not share everything with that person, especially if they're not a super close friend. For example, I have a friend who I don't reach out to hang out because sometimes she will say things that make me feel manipulated, but I know in my heart that's not her intention because I see the Holy Spirit speak through her and she loves Jesus, but for whatever reason I sometimes don't feel safe with her, so now my boundary is that I won't reach out, but if she reaches out to me, I will say yes. And again, bring this person to God and ask him to help you set a boundary so you're not constantly hurt over and over again. Number four, forgive because God has forgiven you. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So if another Christian has sinned against you, give it to God and ask him to help you forgive them. Trust me, it's for your benefit because if you keep it bottled up, it's going to hurt you the most. Number five, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you on who to reach out to you and don't put off someone who is different than you. Ephesians 4, 1-6, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I think God does put people in our lives who are vastly different than us and are difficult for us to love for a reason. But that doesn't mean that you should write them off. Have your friendship be grounded in Christ. And what that means is you both serve Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and you are both willing to be humble to be wrong. There will be Christian friends who have different political stances than you different levels of faith, different denominations within Christianity, but Christ calls us to be like him, gentle and lowly, and to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Alright, number six, Jesus should be your closest friend, even above your parents, your significant other, and your best friend. No people disappoint, but Jesus will always be with you. God knows you more intimately than anyone ever will or could. He knows what makes you annoyed, what you do when you're angry, when you get up or sit down. He knows what your heart is truly feeling even when you don't. So go to him and tell him everything that's happening with your life and he will guide you and your steps. And some of you are wondering how, Jamie, I can't even see him. And my best advice to you is just start talking out loud as if you're having a conversation in the room with him imagine he's sitting next to you in front of you standing next to you when you're cooking even if you don't hear any responses at the start just go ahead and start talking especially when you're alone in your own bedroom tell him what you're making for lunch what you're planning on doing for the rest of the day and you'll be surprised at when he does respond I remember one time I was asking Jesus what his favorite color was and an image of this purpley waterfall texture with silver specks came to mind. And my impression of it was that his favorite color isn't something that's been invented in this lifetime yet. And that answer isn't found anywhere in the Bible, but the revelation just made sense to me because there are things that I don't even know about Jesus since my mind is so limited. Just try talking to him and see what you hear. It's honestly really fun sometimes. All right, and that is all I have for you guys today. I know I talked about a lot of things, but I do hope this podcast episode has helped you in understanding what biblical friendships look like and if it has helped you at all, please, please, please share it with your friends and family and leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts. It honestly helps so much in just getting this podcast out to other listeners just like you. I feel like God has called me to use my creative talents for him and to be more consistent on this podcast. So I am taking a step of faith and recording at least once every week. So please keep me accountable on that as well. And if there are any questions or topics you want me to talk about, please send me a message at anchor.fm backslash Dear Younger Me or drop me a DM on Instagram at Dear younger Me Podcast. All right, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.